This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. You're tuned in to The Property Show, our weekly take on all things property-related, and I'm Philip C. It's the last Friday of the month, and Dr. Ringo Lau from Ringo Lau & Associates is our guest for the Property Legal Clinic. And today, we're going to discuss on all the questions you have, as well as deep dive on a relatively recent issue by DBKL with respect to their Renovation Act. A very good morning to you, Dr. Ringo. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, Thanks, uh, Phil, for inviting me yet again. We should just go straight, I think, to the question that were posed, but I want to just get your perspective on the recent regulation that came out from DBKL, right, uh, in which they announced that house owners here who wish to renovate their homes have to complete the work within a year of the date the renovation plan is approved. It sounds earth-shattering, but is it? Well, Phil, I mean, when you talk of a renovation, if, uh, if one takes too long, inconvenience to every party involved, I to the house owner, to the neighbors, to the contractors as well. But but I know there are instances where sometimes you face the issue of you know contractors giving a lot of problems and then you know running off and then the, you you the works get abandoned. So these are all problematic issues that can be resolved with the timeline currently set by the local governmental authorities. I, I think it's a good idea. It's a good idea because I'm sure in your experience, right, you've had many many uh, conflicts and. I think, especially from residents, right, complaining about disruption at workplaces. Typically, what happens, you know, uh, when these suits are applied by, you know, residents about a construction that took longer than expected? Yeah, I mean, let, let's look at a past scenario before before the government effected this twelve month ruling. When when one encounters a problem at home that the neighbor is doing a renovation and then it stretches on for months and months with the noise and the dust and the obstruction of traffic, usually that takes place in front of the neighboring few houses that's close by. What can they do? So normally the the neighboring owners will try to talk to the owner and then the owner will say, what can I do? My contractor has got problem, you know? And after a while, the neighbors get fed up. And then what do they do? They run to the local governmental authorities to go and lodge a complaint. And then they'll send those governmental officers, MPPJ or DBKL, They'll send the officers down to have a look and then say, okay, now since work has stopped, you know, fine, or you cut down the volume of the noise or regulate the hours. And this sort of thing got to give and take a little bit. And then if there are no activities still, then what happens? So the neighbor can't really complain much, no noise. Then the poor house owner, after three or six months later, got a new set of contractors coming and start banging the walls again. And then the problem comes again. So it can go on quite a fair bit. I've encountered a lot of all this. I'm oh sure a lot goodness. of the listeners too. Yeah, I'm, it sounds like a lose-lose situation in the end. And it's it's a frustration with the contractors because especially nowadays, contractors are so few and far between, isn't it? As a result of the pandemic, so hard to get contractors, especially the workforce, to do it. Yep, yep. You're right because because from two perspectives. First of all, you can't get the workforce. And then secondly, even, even if you get the workforce, the building materials have gone up in prices so much that a lot of contractors, they rather give up the contracts and, and move on to something else. So, so these are these are problems that has contributed to, to this issue as well. So then just to extend the conversation about strata, does the GMB get involved then? I mean, when there's all this noise and disruption takes place, you know, you give an example about perhaps a landed property, you go to DBKL, how does the yeah. JMB then factor into making sure that there's discipline or minimizing the the, the disruption in the whole construction process? Then? Yes, uh, 
uh, Phil, for, for stratified development like condos and apartments, the JMB or the MC, they've got house rules. Yeah. Now, usually the house rules will regulate the hours when they can carry out their construction works. Usually on weekdays, within like decent office hours, like nine to five and not in the evening or at night and not on weekends. So, so I think it's quite well regulated there. But I don't think there's a time limit of one year as well. <laughs> you see? So it might go on. But I'm sure also for the owners, they don't want to drag on too long because it's it's time consuming, it's wastage of resources and money as well. Because if it gets dragged on too long and then the, the workers' wages you have to pay, it's not a small thing too. It's not. So from this process standpoint now, because according to Building Control Department Director, beginning mm. earlier this year, all house renovation plans approved by the council will be valid for one year. You mm. could apply for an extension. Is it very difficult to get that extension, you suspect? Uh, well, I suppose if you can come up with good grounds, I'm sure they will be reasonable enough to allow extension. There, there, there could be ample of grounds, like for instance, well, if there are like road blockage because of uh, public utilities works that took out some time, yeah. you know, or, or anything that's beyond your control or your contractor's control, I think that's fine. And and one good thing arising from here, Phil, maybe the listeners would like to take note that, yes, the authorities have set a timeline for 12 months, yeah. but you can also set a timeline for your own contractors. You see, sure. uh, in your contract with your contractors, you could put in the contract period to be stipulated at, at say, maybe three or six months for them to complete their works with a penalty that if they extend beyond that period, uh, they'll pay a, a certain amount of quantifiable amount per day or something like that. Uh, that will put them on their toes too. But the reality is it's a contractor's market, isn't it? That's the biggest problem now. Every Contractors can call the shots. That's the problem. So, you know, you give them a contract. They say, okay, I said this penalty. Okay, lie, I don't want the work. It's so difficult, isn't it? Because it's a contractor's market, no? It, it is. It is to a certain extent. But then, then if you get good contractors who would be willing to sign and give you the, the sure. clauses to pay you the, the, the damages for delay, then they will fear the risk of being sued as well. Sure, it's part of the it, reputation it, as well. It is, it is, it yes. is. And I wonder, you know, how does this work? Let's say you do the construction, unfortunately you fail to get it done in 12 months, there's a lapse period. Can you then just reapply perhaps six months later so it's all stalled for a while? Is there like a grace period before you can reapply and do the... Uh, at, at the moment, we, we, we have not been intimated as to the process of application for extension of time because yeah. it's very new. Under the, the Town and Country Planning Act, as well as the Local Government Act, there is no actual uh, express provision as yet. So I suppose it's just administrative. Yeah, just to just give a sense, right, you talk about the Uniform Building Bylaw in 1984, there is no time frame. You even look at the Local Government Act, there is actually no time frame stipulated. So this is quite a new requirement that's been imposed by the local authority. Yes. So to be clear, this is only within the confines of DBKL, yeah, not yet mm-hmm. covering uh, Slango and all the neighbouring other states as well. You, you are right, Phil. At the moment, it's just DBKL. The other states, the other local governments have not uh, mentioned anything about this as yet. Theoretically, then, if I was an owner and I see the risk that I can't get it done in one year, would I break down my con- contractor and construction work into packages, right? Like apply on a package-by-package package basis. Would that be a way to get around the process? So you could theoretically prolong the project for as long as 12 months, one year, you know, or more than that. Like do the kitchen first you know, and apply for the kitchen, then do the living room later. Is that a way to get around this process, I wonder? You break up the work into packages. 
I, I suppose at the end of the day, Phil, if your neighbours do not complain, I think you can get away with it. I mean, the authorities are basically there to ensure that you comply with your guidelines. Sure. You know, the setback, make sure it's clean, you don't mess up the place. I, I'm sure if the neighbours do not complain, whether you break it down in packages, it, it, it wouldn't matter to me. I, I think what's most important, the immediate neighbours, whether they lodge a complaint. And, you know, for you, right, in the past two years, have you had a lot of issues about nuisance and noise cons- complaints in the pl- in, in the past one to two years, or has it reduced quite a bit? Because people are just more understanding about the difficulties and complications we have. Yeah, definitely. I mean, people are aware that even, even if you want to complain, I've got instances where people coming to me are complaining about neighbours' uh, renovation over this last one, one, two years as well. But after a while, they realise that it's not easy as well because during the pandemic, they, when you want to do an inspection and then you go to the government offices and then government, they are also short of staff to maintain your physical distancing. To make an appointment to visit, it'll probably take a few weeks or month. You know, after a while, people tend to accommodate each other. <laughs> yes. I guess in this time, in these difficult times, you you all have to, you know, provide some emotional dispensation as well. And I guess the complaints typically range from noise to dust pollution and also obstruction of road. That is, yeah. I think, one of the biggest issues. Perhaps obstruction of, of right away is, I think, the most legitimate way to stop the construction. But noise and dust pollution is generally harder, isn't it, to get away with that? Yes, Now, uh, but we must look at the ways. There are two ways that we can actually uh, prevent what I call this a nuisance. It's under the law, the thought of nuisance as cost to your neighbours, the inconvenience, the dust, the noise and the obstruction. Now, you can actually go to the local governmental authorities and ask them to take action on their part. They can issue the notices to the house owner who's having renovation works or to the contractors as well. Now, the other option, if it gets out of hand, it gets too serious, you can actually go to a lawyer and and commence legal proceedings to get an injunction order either to stop the so-called nuisance activities or to tone it down or or, or to put an absolute stop to it completely if it breaches rules. So there are options for neighbouring house owners who are aggrieved by renovations problems arising. And and how long does it take usually this kind of uh, process to secure an injunction? To secure an injunction, if you can get all your facts in order, you prepare the affidavits, you file an application, you might be able to get it within about three to five days. If it's of urgency, of course. And this new requirement with the one-year extension, that doesn't dilute that process, isn't it? You still can no, it doesn't. To do that. It, it's separate. It's, it's separate. separate. Yeah. It's just that now there's another there's another bookend, right, with the one-year, because this is about during the process and you can basically reinforce that as the process exceeds one year then. All right, Ringo, thanks for that clarification. We'll have more of your questions and answers from Dr. Ringo Lau after these messages. Stay with us, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to The Property Show on The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. and I have Dr. Ringo Lau from Ringo Lau Associates here with me for the monthly property legal clinic that takes place on the last Friday of the month. You know, Dr. Ringo, we were talking earlier on about this whole 12-month extension period, but now let's go straight into specific questions that many of our listeners have posed. And one question asked was posed by Anonymous. I can't give the name because I think it's pretty private. Basically, his point is that what is the process, right, for unfair treatment of bias by what appears to be collaboration between 
the housing ministry and developers. In his case here, an EOT of close to two years has been granted to the developer, meaning they potentially face no penalties due to their poor performance in delivering VP slash vacant possession to me. You know, considering the deposit paid back in 2016, the revised vacant possession after allowing for Ministry of Housing's EOT is April 2023, which seems very unfair even after allowing for reasonable delays due to the pandemic. Does the common man have a route to contest this? Well, Phil, let's let's look at all this extension of time for sale and purchase of properties, like delivery of vacant possession. Let's start with the pre-COVID situation first. Huh? Yeah. Let, let's get the law clear first. Pre-COVID, pre-2020, we have standard sale and purchase agreements under the Housing Developers Act. You've got what we call it the Schedule G and Schedule H, where for Schedule G, the time for delivery of a vacant possession of a property is 24 months. For lender properties and schedule h is for sort of title property where it's 36 months from the date of signing of the spa now there have been instances where the developers could not complete within the 36 months let's say for for apartments right and they, and they have applied to the ministry of housing and local government for extension of time there is provision under the act and the regulations made there under for the ministry to grant extension of time when circumstances uh, provide so now we have a federal court decision, I think everybody's quite aware of it, the Ang Ming Lee case, where the federal court actually struck down the extension of time that was granted by the Ministry of Housing and Local Government on the premise that the extension which was granted by the controller of housing, usually, is null and void because the controller has not the power to grant extension, unlike the minister. Mm-hmm. So there, there, have been, there have been a whole host of cases where the extension have all been struck down by null the Null and void, court. essentially. Null and void, yes. Okay. Now, but developers being developers, they've got good lawyers around them. <laughs> so they find ways to see how they can get around it. Okay. Now, in the Ang Ming Lee case, what actually happened was that the sale and purchase agreement provided for 36 months, right? And then thereafter, in the course of construction, the developer applied for extension of time from the Ministry of Housing and Local Government. So perhaps on that score, the federal court is of the view that I mean, that's my own guessing uh, that what, what could be behind the minds of the judges then is like hey, the poor purchaser signed the sale and purchase agreement with you for 36 months and then you got an extension without them knowing it from the ministry and then suddenly it went up to 48 months or 56 months. Yeah. So is that fair to the individual? So it might not appear to be fair enough. So now there are instances where the developers have come and argued through their lawyers, of course, their smart lawyers, to argue that, huh, but why don't we get the extension earlier? Before signing the sale and purchase agreement, we get the extension from the ministry. And after getting the extension, we put in the sale and purchase agreement. Now, your the time frame for us to deliver vacant possessions is 48 months or 56 months. So basically, they get around it by basically getting the extension before the SMPs are signed. That's correct. That's correct. And then the courts have upheld some cases like this, that you came in with your eyes wide open. Mm. You saw that the time for delivery of vacant possession being extended, and then you signed it, right? So you you should be bound by what you signed. So there have been instances where, where such extension has been granted. Now, this is what I call a pre-COVID situation. Now, post-COVID situation, like what your listener has uh, written into you, I think it's a post-COVID situation where under the Act, the COVID Act, there is provision for the minister to allow extension of time. Now, it has been granted as of 18th of March, 2020, to even the whole year, end of 2020, for the first tranche of extension. 
And then for the year 2021 as well, I've come across instances where from the first day of January 2021, extensions had also been granted to the last day of 2020. Now, those are under the situations of uh, COVID instances. So, so then, whether it's fair or not, I really don't know. Yeah, that's a tough one, isn't it? Because I think the feedback a lot is, is this whole idea also about this rolling extension of yes. time as well. That's, I think, a bit of a problem, isn't it? Because if, especially if you can get around the whole point that you do it before the SMP, but you can't really get an extension of the extension, right? Yeah, you can't. You can't. That, that is why they amended they amended the COVID Act in 2022 to allow what you term it as a rolling extension. Because the first round of extension was only for 2020. So then there was another round of extension for 2021. Now, is there going to be one for 2022? I don't know because the law has not been amended as yet. But I mean, it's not easy for the authorities as well, to be fair. I mean, we know that during the last two years, there were difficulties in sourcing for foreign labor to carry out the construction works as Mm. well. Mm. And then the price of building materials has shot up sky high too. So it's a question of balancing the two interests, the purchases and or the developers. So failing which, you know, the extension EOT doesn't get extended um, and they fail to deliver, right? What are the typical penalties and performance metrics that come through, right, which owners can claim from the property developers? It's clearly provided in the sale and purchase agreement. Usually, it's about 10% per annum of their purchase price calculated on a daily basis. That's a standard yardstick. And thinking out loud, right, I mean, this is about the point where you said there have been people who've been able to contest this successfully. Of course, then there's been some changes that take place. In this current environment where we are now aging out of the pandemic, is there an opportunity for owners to contest this EOT? I mean, up to April 2023 seems bit of a stretch. So when will there be a time when owners say, okay, I've had enough and even there will be a willingness for even the courts to take that into account? Yes, I, I think, Phil, what, what your listening in respect of the, the extension that was just expressly mentioned here till April 2023 for almost two years extension, I think there is a recourse. What needs to be done is the right approach to be taken. Not a normal civil suit. Huh? It has to, got to go by way of a judicial review because what your listener wants to do is to quash the decision of the minister who granted the extension. So don't don't take the wrong approach of just suing the developer. It may not work. But if it's got to be a judicial review to quash the decision of the minister who granted the extension on the basis that it's either unreasonable or irrational. And is there a process where we can actually view all these EOTs? I guess you can go to the Ministry of Housing website to actually view all these EOTs that were that were decreed by the minister, isn't it? And it only can be the minister that can issue the EOT, not even the controller, right? That's correct. That's correct, Phil. I, I should take it that they have granted it on a project-by-project basis. If it is not displayed in the data as an aggrieved house purchaser, I think you've got every right to write to them and ask them for an explanation on what basis the extension was granted. If they refuse to give an answer, that's also a, a reason for the matter to be taken to court. All right, thanks. That's a very interesting perspective, uh, Dr. Ringo. Let's go through to the second question. This one is a bit of a head-scratcher because this was quite a long time ago. Uh, let me read through the chronology, right, of this other listener who had a question about a shop lot he owned in a commercial complex in Perak. This, and this was a sequence of events in which he lost his shop lot title. February 2020, went to land office, lost the title. He did all as per the clerk's request. August 2020, paid 180 ringgit for a new title and RM80 for Chari and Rasmi. Then September 2020, Warta Karajan gave him a notice on receiving his application, followed by February 2022, right? That was close to one and a half months. One and a half years, sorry. Land office finally gave a letter saying that work is in progress. May 2022, he wrote to the Penolong Pagawai Daira, but to date, 
date, still no news. So that chronology really struck me because between September 2020 and then February 2022, there was really a long hiatus. Is this quite usual? Yeah, but you see, the, the hiatus happened during the pandemic. Now, during the, the years of 2020 and 2021, Phil, the land offices as well as the, most governmental offices are working on bare minimal staff. Because quite a lot of them were either working from home or they were working on minimal hours to keep the social distancing. So it's not just your listener has encountered the problem. We in law offices also encounter problems like that, where we make appointments with them and then could not get an early date. It took months and months. But basing on the chronology that you have provided, I would have thought that it's almost at the end stage already for this particular listener. I hope so, because we're huh. now in August and since May, still no news. That's the biggest challenge because I think the frustration is she seems to have hit the roadblock because if you go to the clerk again, she's not going to get anything. So she's also wondering what are the options she can take to well, well, to basically well, move forward. Well, I suppose she can write a couple of letters to the land administrator, you know, officially and, and, and see how it goes. Uh, I, I would advise her to, to be a bit more patient because they have a, a backlog of uh, documents which needs to be processed as well. There are a lot to, to, to mm. be handled. So it's not easy. It's not easy for them to, to, to get up to date on their documentation. Not not yet. I would expect another three to six months before things will catch up to its normal sequence. So patience is uh, required here, I think. Absolutely. Hopefully, Absolutely. hopefully there's some resolution there. Yes. Uh, Dr. Ringo, can I just squeeze in one more quick question? Which sure. I just got right. This is another listener. His JMB is having a legal dispute with the developer. As such, the JMB has stopped holding an AGM for two years and have not realized any accounts. Now, this listener has requested for the accounts, but they refuse, saying they are advised by their lawyers due to the dispute. <laughs> what can the tenant do here? Uh, the tenant, is there a pending court proceedings first of all? If there's a pending court proceedings, so it's very difficult to comment on it. But assuming that there's no court proceedings pending and uh, the JMB refuse, the developer refuse to hold meetings, you're saying, right? Mm, yes. Now, the, the first recourse will be to go to the controller of housing, uh, sorry, the commissioner of buildings, COD, right. yep. the commissioner of buildings. They've got every right to direct the developers to hold the meeting. And if the developer refuse, they can themselves get the any members of the GMB or whatever to hold the meetings if they want to. There's a recourse there. Start with the COB first. Got it. So I think firstly, check whether there is actually legal proceedings. If there isn't, then go to the COB. Yes, correct. All right. Thank you, Dr. Ringo. That's all the time we have for the Monthly Property Legal Clinic today. Again, thank you for your invaluable advice, Dr. Ringo. Join us again next month as we help shed light more on your legal conundrums. Send your questions over to property at bfm.my or WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. We have the 10 a.m. News Bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.